This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. I'm so excited today, Professor Gershon. Yes, good morning, Liz. Um, The University of Mississippi School of Law and and the university in general is proud to have been a pioneer in air and space law for many decades. And uh, the program uh, we have here is stronger now. And uh, the program is stronger now than it's ever been, thanks to the outstanding work of its co-directors, Michelle Hanlon and Charles Stotler. So today we're fortunate to have Professor Hanlon joining the show. Uh, And Professor Hanlon is going to be on in just a minute. I know we're connecting with him. But I I have to say, they've started a program here that has um, – it was a smaller funded program by NASA, and that funding went away. And when Michelle and Charles Butler, who's also been on the show, uh, took over, they've created a lot of programs. We're going to let her talk about that. And it is really something that is, um, uh, I think, uh, everybody in Mississippi can be proud of. And we certainly are proud of that at the University of Mississippi School of Law. So, Professor Hamlin, um, would you please tell us a little bit about no, your no, background? No, no. Well, um, we're trying to uh, connect with no. Professor Hamlin right no. now. Tell us, uh, you know, we've had um, both uh, Professor Hanlon and her co-director on before, and it's been so exciting, the the different topics that we've had. We've talked about uh, drones, and that was a, a very interesting show. That was in March of 2002 of 2021. We've also talked about aviation law. And because we are, you know, it's surprising how, you know, space is, I guess, the law uh, above us. And uh, we've talked about space. That was in January 21st of 2020. We talked about Space Force, which was uh, instituted by our our president, and that's an ongoing new division of our uh, military. Is that part uh, and uh, part of our our defense? We've also talked about space law in June of O two of twenty twenty. So now I believe we have Professor Hanlon. We're so glad to yeah. welcome you to In Legal Terms. Thank you so much, Liz. I'm so thrilled to be here. And, and oh, Michelle, we're so glad to have you. And uh, would you mind talking a little bit about your background and, and the, how you became interested in space law um, and coming to the University of Mississippi? Thanks, Richard. Uh, good morning, everyone. Yeah, my... Um, I am a child of Star Trek. I actually uh, was a business attorney for 25 years, and uh, when my when I empty nested, I looked at my husband and said, "You know, it's time for something completely different." And I went back to school to get my uh, advanced degree in space law because I really 
uh, I really believe that space is the future. And when I began to realize just how much we are uh, tied to space and how much we rely on space, I understood how important it was to keep this, keep peace in space and make sure we all have access to it. So what I came to Mississippi because Mississippi has the oldest space law program in the country. And a lot of people don't know that, and it's really, really proud that Stephen Garrow, who was one of the forefathers of space law, came to Mississippi in the 60s um, and started this program. And so the, the wealth of, of knowledge about space and space law here in Mississippi is unparalleled um, anywhere in the nation. And it's just it's a real honor to be in Oxford and, and carrying on this program that was started when, when Apollo 11 landed on the moon. It's, it's fantastic. Would you mind um, talking a little bit about some of the programs that the Center for Air and Space Law uh, offers? Sure. So the Center for Air and Space Law is uh, it, we offer um, a JD program with a concentration in air and space law. So if you are a young college student and uh, want to be a lawyer and want to talk about space and learn about uh, aviation and space law, we have that. We also have an advanced degree in um, in space air and space law. So if you have your JD already, if you've been practicing a few years and want to get involved, um, you can come to us as well. And we have our, our classes are all online as well as in person. We have a real opportunity wherever you are. Um, we have a, a, a number of students who, uh, who come into us on Zoom from Jackson, for example, rather than having to make the trip up to Oxford. Um, we also have, you don't have to be a lawyer to take our classes. We have a graduate certificate program um, where you can just come in and learn about space law. You, you can take a few courses um, and, and get a certificate from that. And, and finally, we have something really exciting. In the summer, we offer a summer course called Astropolitica, which is um, about just sort of looking at space and the geopolitics of space and understanding how space actually um, is involved, not just in our daily lives, but sort of our, our national identities and, and what people are doing. And, you know, everything that happens on Earth has an impact on space and vice versa. And that summer course is open to anybody who wants to, who wants to take it. Ooh, that sounds exciting to me. Maybe I'll uh, get my application in. That sounds very, very exciting to me. This morning we're talking about laws dealing with inventions and breakthroughs from space exploration, the laws around that. Remember, you can send us your email to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Our guest is Professor Michelle Hanlon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. It's our Space Law Day. We've got a call. It's calling from Oxford. It's Jacob is on the line. Jacob, we're so glad you've called in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Hi, all. Thanks for taking my call. Great. Welcome to the show. What's your comment or question? Uh, I was curious about, uh, I know Elon Musk has a plan to uh, launch a bunch of satellites and provide Internet to lots of folks you know, around the globe. That sounds very appealing, but I was wondering, uh, you know, how how a private citizen goes about, uh, you know, enacting that kind of plan, and, and how they avoid uh, uh, the kind of scenarios that we saw play out in the movie Gravity, with space debris becoming, uh, you know, more and more dangerous and more and more proliferated. That is such a great question. The you know the the benefits of space are really remarkable, and I think we saw it. 
um, you know, the with Elon Musk actually stepping into the uh, the uh, into the Ukraine to offer his services and the services of his Starlink. Um, Starlink is very controversial, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately. I mean, it's getting people to think. So Starlink, for those who don't know, are small satellites, little constellations, satellites about you know think about little boxes. Um, and they they uh, form like a train across the um, across orbit and across space. And so you can actually, if you are in the right place at the right time, you can actually see this little train of satellites go across the sky. And that is that is bringing internet to people who typically wouldn't have access to internet. And that's incredibly important because we're bringing medicines to rural communities. We're bringing knowledge. Bringing education, we're bringing in you know everything that that we who are on the internet all the time take for granted, of finally getting into communities that um, are are developing and can need need those services the most. Um, unfortunately, you know if you can see them with the naked eye, um, that you know that you can see them with telescopes, and so astronomers are very worried because they're actually creating pollution in the sky in terms of light pollution. So that's just one box we're worried about there. But the other one, which you brought up is the gravity situation. Orbital debris is a real issue. And you know we don't think about it on Earth very much at all because you don't really see it. But there is a lot of junk in space. There are about 6,000 satellites that are defunct and just sort of floating in space. And so the fear, like you saw in the movie Gravity, is that some of that junk will hit, for example, the space station um, and cause this, this event that will actually, you know, the, the worst case scenario is that we will have enough uh, collision events that will have enough small debris in space that will actually close space to us. So I'm very happy to tell everybody that we are actually working on this right now. We meaning humanity, the international community. Um, we already have in the United States, we have some of the strictest laws in the world regarding what you can send to space and what the rules are in terms of um, deorbiting stuff, making sure that stuff gets out of the way after it's been it finished its operative um, uh, time. And and we're working with the international community to do the same thing and to make those stricter laws throughout the community. Um, we also have really exciting programs on um, debris remediation. And so that means that we actually have our funding companies to go up and remove some of this stuff from the sky. So the you know the bottom line is yes. The, every time we do something in space, we really need to start thinking about the impact because what we're realizing is how much how much we benefit from space and how much we can use things like Starlink. But we also have to be really mindful of the issues that Starlink can cause. And and I think you know up until about a, a couple of weeks ago. I thought that we were, you know, responsible adults again, but we can be responsible about how we how we explore and harness the resources of space. And I think we have an international community ready to do that. Thanks, Jacob, for calling in today. Thank you. Degree, uh, debris remediation. I wrote that one down. I'm excited about that. And I'm excited... Uh, I will, uh, Professor Hanlon mentioned about seeing the Starlink on in the sky. I am very excited about that, and I'll tell you why I'm excited and how you can see some of our satellites and things and what the app I use to look at that in the night sky when we come back. Send us an email with your questions. 
legal terms at mpbonline.org is our email address. We are discussing laws that are different from others, but we're proud that Mississippi is leading the nation on this subject about space law. We've had past podcasts. I'll have links to those on this show's information. And when we come back, I'm going to share the app that I use so that you can see satellites in the sky right over your house. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is in legal terms. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our whole show live, so if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. At MPB, we are so proud of the University of Mississippi's law school and their space program. We've done a few of the In Legal Terms episodes on various aspects of the program, drones, aviation, Space Force. I'll have the dates for those podcasts on the information for this show's page, but I'm also excited. I use the ISS Detector app, and that you just put in where you are, and it lets you see when the planets or when special you know, satellites that you can see from Earth are over your house. Unfortunately, it's a very cloudy day this week, so I don't know that they'll be able to see it. But it, it tells you how strong it should be. It tells you where you should look up in the night sky, and it even gives you like a little tracker to watch. It's like magic. We we were outside in our cul-de-sac one night doing this, and some neighbors came out and said, "What? What's everybody looking out there?" And it was like it was like magic. I said, "Okay, everybody, look up there in five, four, three, two, one," and then you could see it. And you can you can track the space station or other uh, man-made and non-made made uh, uh, reflective things up in the sky. So that's the ISS detector. They have a free and a paid version. But anyway, I'll have the link to that. This morning we are talking about space law with our guest, Professor Michelle Hanlon, co-director of the Center for Air and Space Law at our very own University of Mississippi School of Law. And, and Liz, I would be remiss if I didn't also just thank the university's support as well, because 
Um, you know, the law school has sponsored, and been, this program has been an important part of the law school for a long time. But um, when funding, NASA funding went away, when uh, when earmarks went away uh, in the early part of the the, the last decade, can't believe it is the last decade. Um, the university and and the law school worked together to make sure this program could continue, and now. Michelle and Charles have built it into a really, really vibrant uh, program that is uh, sustaining, and, and uh, we're, we're excited about that. And, and, yeah, and, and so I just want to point that out. Thanks to the university as well to have the vision to support this program. Um, you know, Michelle, critics have questioned sometimes the value of space exploration. You and I were talking about the Super Bowl commercial about, you know, why are we spending money in space when we could, there's so much to do here, and there is much to do here. but. Um, you know, what are the what value uh, will space exploration and space tourism add, um, and, and 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 how does that help day-to-day -day human life? So, thank you. Uh, I also want to uh, thank the university and the law school. Um, I think it's it's really uh, uh, incredible foresight to uh, continue to support this program, and I think it's going to be really great for all of Mississippi. Um, so when, when you think about the everyday benefits of space, you know, I want to go back to what Liz was saying, and, you know, you're looking up and you're waiting to see station pass by, and just the inspiration that there are humans in space right now that we can think about, I think is, is from a, you know, sort of a psychological perspective and, and sort of a get, a, you know, re remove ourselves from the problems on Earth to think about the fact that we have humans in space. And I want you to think also back to the Apollo program. When we had humans on the moon, imagine looking at the moon and knowing that there's somebody walking around on it while you're down here looking at it. And so, you know, just from the from a inspirational, innovative, wow, look at what humans can do. I think space is one of those, one of the, is a, you know, I'm going to use the term frontier. I don't like it much, but it's truly one of those things that provides um, inspiration to people all around the world. But when we, let's, let's sort of bring it back, because I can go off for ages about the the, uh, the inspirational value of space. What what do we get from space? What do you and I get from space right now today? Well, you know, let me ask you, did you pump gas today and pay way too much? Sure you did. And how did you pay with your credit card? And how did that work? Because of a satellite. You know, you can't withdraw money without a satellite. We use satellites to do that precision timing we need to allow us to bank electronically. So from a very fundamental standpoint, every time you purchase something with a credit card, every time you buy gas, every time you uh, get money out of your ATM, um, you are using a satellite. And so imagine if that satellite was taken away. It has happened to me up in Canada a few years ago. The satellite that was uh, in timing uh, transactions in northwestern Canada went down, and we literally couldn't buy food because I had no cash. And so, you know, this is what would happen. So that's that's just every single day. Whatever you're doing, you're using a satellite. Um, the stuff that we have learned from space, stuff that we have gotten from space, you know, think about pacemakers. We're originally from space. Think about things like um, astronauts, right? When we send them to space, we're worried about their health, we're worried about them. You know what we don't have in space? We don't have water in space. So what do the astronauts do? They have to recycle water. Where do you think that recycled water comes from? Astronauts drink their own pee. And how do they do that? Because we created, uh, NASA engineers created a filtration system that cleansed the water so they could drink it. And you know what? We use that same filtration system here on Earth now. We use it to uh, make our tap water taste better, and we use it to cleanse water in rural communities that don't have access to clean water. Um, 
earth observation, disaster mitigation. Think about, um, you know, uh, we get our weather from space. Uh, well, we get our weather from space, but we also learn about our weather from space and figure out where is that tornado going to go. We get those kinds of predictions from space. We also think like very mundane things. The um, the, the gold coating on Oscar Academy Awards statuette uh, was created because NASA needed some very special kind of gold filter to protect um, uh, their satellites, and that we are able to use that same gold filter here on Earth for similar things. Um, grooves and roads, we have those because NASA wanted to protect the space shuttle from when it landed on, on wet paths, and now we groove a lot of our roads. There's so, much, so many benefits that we get from space on an everyday level that NASA actually has a magazine called Spinoff, and you can go online and get that Spinoff magazine at NASA. It publishes it every year, and there are literally thousands of products that um, have been developed using technologies that were either created or developed for space. And so, again, you know, memory foam mattresses, pacemakers, uh, uh, infrared thermometers, infrared technologies, all of those things have percolated down and helped us down here on Earth and made our lives better. We're talking this morning with the co-director for the Center for Air and Space at our very own University of Mississippi School of Law, Professor Michelle Hanlon. We're talking about space law, benefits of space, what's up there. We would love to answer your questions. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. So I've written down two things, debris remediation, I'm excited about that, and the spinoff magazine from NASA, I'm interested in that. One thing that I have been very excited to hear about that's in the news is the cooperation. Right now there's political unrest in the world. One of our astronauts is up in the space station, and the planned way to come down was through a cooperation with the Russians and I think didn't I, I hear yesterday that's still the plan is that right um, uh, Dr. Han Professor Hamlin yes absolutely and it, this is one thing you know even so think about um, when we started exploring space it was at the height of the Cold War right we were in a, a Cold War battle United States and the then Soviet Union and what did those what did those two superpowers do? They didn't just go and use space to, to sit each other out off of Earth, right? They actually went to the United Nations and understood that they needed to create a treaty to preserve peace in space. And so at the height of the Cold War in the nineteen sixties, these these people were talking at the United Nations and they came up with the Outer Space Treaty, which is basically the Magna Carta of space law. And the fundamental precepts of that treaty are Space is, shall be free for exploration and use by all, so everybody has the right to use space and has free access to space. Um, no sovereign may claim territory in space, so you cannot go up there and plant any flag on the moon and claim it for the United States, for China, for Russia, for anybody. Um, and finally, that uh, space shall be used for peaceful purposes. And so think that was back in the, in the 1960s. Even, even as we're just beginning to understand the benefits of space, and even when space was really being used only for military purposes, because the very first satellites up there were spy satellites, right? We knew, humanity knew, we've got to keep the peace in space. And that 
receipts has been largely kept uh, since then um, through, through organi an organization called the Committee on the Peace Leases of Outer Space at the United Nations, which has more than 100 national delegates, and where every year, no matter what's going on in the world, these countries need to talk about what we need to do to keep the peace in space. And one of, you know, the, with respect to the U.S. and Russian relationship, again, during the Cold War, we had joint space missions. And now, of course, we have International Space Station, which is a, uh, a multilateral uh, space platform. So it includes Russia and other countries as well. Um, and so when we think about what's been happening here on, on Earth, um, and there's been a lot of bluster about, oh, well, you know, we, the Russians, move their, their pod, and we're not going to be able to propel anywhere. Um, so what you have to remember is that the Russian cosmonauts and the American astronauts train together for years before they go to space. They build relationships. So in many ways, looking up, there's something called uh, Frank White, who is a Mississippi native as well, um, is, wrote a book called The Overview Effect which talks about looking down on Earth and realizing there are no borders. We made them up. And so fundamentally, I believe um, that we will achieve peace from space. That's the only way we're going to achieve peace, is having people up in space watching us have our squabbles on Earth and saying, what the heck? You know, just forget it. And so right now we do, we have had a lot of hiccups um, on social media with respect to what's happening with our um, with our astronauts and cosmonauts. He is supposed to, uh, it's uh, Commander Von de Hay, is supposed to uh, return to Earth at the end of this month on the Soyuz capsule, and right now uh, NASA is saying that's a go. And so, you know, one can only hope that this, this remains true, because right now um, we can hold on to our space program um, and, and use that as sort of the shining example of being able to collaborate um, and and be above these issues because it is about space where we must keep the peace. We would love for you to email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Professor Michelle Hanlon, co-director of the Center for Air and Space Law, about human benefits of space exploration and space tourism. Uh, Jay, would you would you ride a rocket and go on a space tourism? I don't know about me. Depends on what I had to drink oh, when I go. was up there, I've learned. <laughs> tang! You drink tang. Everybody knows that. So what does it look like from space? We'll share how you can find out next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. 
Hanging on to a vehicle you can't drive feels like a dream where you try to run but can't. Rather than hit the snooze for another year, why not donate your car, truck, or other vehicle to MPB and wake up to great television and radio? Call 877-MPB-4-CAR or go to mpbonline.org support and click on Donate a Vehicle to support the programs you count on morning and evening. Now that's a good dream. You are listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill, and we do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings on our the website, mpbonline.org slash radio. This morning, we're talking about uh, benefits of space exploration, maybe space mining, with our guest, Michelle Hanlon, co-director for the Center for Air and space law nasa has a camera that shows views from the international space station we'll have a link to that view on the information for this show's page we've got some calls to go to now first we'll start in new orleans and go to lisa lisa we're so glad you've called in today what's your comment or question for our show uh, it's a comment. Um, I think that the benefits of space exploration are, are definitely there. I mean, that's why we have microwave bacon. That's why we have a lot of uh, injectable pneumatics for um, for shots for vaccines. But uh, I want to make a comment about the law school. Um, globally, right now, what's happening is space law is really being based on maritime laws. And the maritime law schools already, like, for example, Tulane in Florida are, like, top maritime law schools. They are doing space law. And that's globally, that is what is being used for making decisions as far as exploration and stuff. And what you're probably going to see in around another two years is Musk is getting ready to do a huge endowment to UT uh, since he's basically moving his base to Austin uh, to expand their law school, because their law school isn't really strong on maritime. It's a really top law school, but it doesn't have a maritime component. But that's what they're going to do. There's is going to be air and uh, water, so to speak. Uh, and I, I think Mississippi is really missing the boat, literally, in not having a maritime program. You know, to have the Gulf right there, and it's not there. If you want to do a maritime program, you have to go away. You can't stay in state. And you go to you go to A&M to do a maritime program, or you go to one of the maritime institutes, and none of them are in Mississippi. And that's my comment. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate you calling in. Uh, uh, Professor Gershon, Professor Hanlon, uh, do you have a, a comment about that? If I may, I'd like to... Uh, remind me that we do have uh, the Ocean and Coastal uh, Law Center here at Ole Miss that is uh, run by Stephanie Showalter Otts, and uh, they have done a lot with maritime law and coastal law, um, and uh, they are a grant-funded program, but they uh, have tremendous impact um, on those areas, and so we do offer uh, courses in ocean and coastal law through that program. We've had them on the show before. Uh, Professor Hanlon? Sorry, I I would just add that, you know, absolutely right. Maritime law, aviation law are very good models for us to think about. 
Uh, but, you know, the United States has not signed the Convention on the Law of the Sea. And so we still have a lot of argument about how things are going to happen in the ocean. Um, and so when we, when we talk about um, space law, we have to move beyond just sort of the high seas. But space is very different from anything that we have here on Earth, right? Um, people, we, we're looking at aviation law, we're looking at the Antarctic Treaty, um, we're looking at um, the law of the high seas, we're looking at international humanitarian law, um, but fundamentally space is different from all of that because we have no oxygen in space. Space is, is truly limitless in a way that the ocean is not limitless. Space is an entirely different environment. And so as much as I think it's really valuable to be able to look back at what we've done terrestrially and not always very well, um, to learn from those lessons and apply the lessons to space, I think we really have to break outside of our little terrestrial box and think completely differently about this frontier that is different from anything we've ever experienced here on Earth. We're going to go to Natchez now and speak with Randy. Randy, we're so glad you've called in to In Legal Terms today, where it's our Space Law Day with Professor Michelle Hanlon, co-director for the Center for Air and Space Law at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Randy, what's your comment or question? Well, I'm grateful for Mississippi Public Radio first, uh, but I was hoping how Mississippi could benefit with the Stennis Space Center, how we could utilize that, and I'll hang up and listen to your response. You Thanks, Randy. Thank you again. Thanks, Randy. That's such a, that's something we're working very hard on. Stennis is such a jewel in the, in the community here. Um, Stennis offers, you know, uh, rocket testing capabilities. It has a huge campus, and actually we have a, 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 a number of, of smaller space companies already utilizing the resources at Stennis to include relativity space. Um, and so what we're doing here at the Center for Air and Space Law is we're actually trying to build an entrepreneurship center, uh, if you will, to, um, to get more of those startup companies to come into Mississippi. And what does that do? That not only employs you know, not only brings that that uh, that into the economy, it will employ, for example, engineers from Mississippi, from UMIS. Um, it'll employ what the other thing we just need to remember is that everything we do in space, um, everything we do on Earth, we're going to ultimately do in space. And so, I, I always always tell people, um, if you want to, if you have dreams of space, you don't have to be a scientist or engineer. You know, we need to understand how to uh, how to grow food in space. We need to understand how to, you know, extract oxygen, extract water. And so the resources at Stennis are um, actually fabulous for that. And we are really looking forward to being able to work with Stennis um, and the state of Mississippi more to make more of the country realize what a gem and jewel we have there. The other thing is, you know, it's a great spaceport. We have the Hancock um, airport, which is trying to become a spaceport, and that's really exciting. We're going to talk about space tourism in a little bit, I think, but when we have the, um, when we have point-to-point -point travel, when we are using, like Elon Musk has suggested, using uh, suborbital flights to get, uh, to, to mitigate disasters, to get supplies to um, disaster-stricken areas faster, you know, we could get from Mississippi to Australia in 20 minutes instead of 24 hours. Um, and that's the kind of that's the kind of infrastructure we already have in Mississippi, and we're working very hard to take advantage of. 
the future would be great. You could stop at that Bucky's that they're building in Hancock County right before you go to the spaceport so you can get to Australia in 30 minutes. There, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. I've got my plans. Let's go to Eupora and speak with Rachel. Rachel, we're glad that you've called in today. What's your comment or question today on Space Law Day? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you. This is an absolutely fun, uh, fascinating program. And uh, secondly, though, I have an admission to make. I am a uh, romantic. I'm not into space travel and that kind of thing, although I do remember my dad waking us up in the middle, middle of the night to show us uh, John Glenn going over uh, in his little satellite. And that was, uh, that's a memory that I'm very fond of. But uh, I hope they're going to leave some of the space to be mysterious. I love to look up in the sky and just be amazed at uh, what I see. And I'm hoping that we're not going to see amusement parks on the moon. Uh, what's your comment to this? So Rachel, you just gave me goosebumps. I just love the I love the idea that your dad woke you up to to watch John Glenn, um, and and it goes back to sort of looking up at the moon and thinking. I think it was um, Neil Armstrong, to, you know, every day would look up at the moon and wink um, when he saw it. The I couldn't agree with you more. The last thing I want to do is look up and see a big neon sign that says Coca Cola or McDonald's on the moon, right? Um, we well, are really thinking. Yeah, and, and it's, it's not romantic at all. It's just, you know, the, the moon is culturally a very important celestial body. It has been with humanity since the beginning of time. We have looked up to the moon and we've dreamed about it. We've made up stories about it. You know, and the Chinese see a rabbit on the moon. We see a man on the moon. You know, there's all sorts of, of, of myth and mythology that we have, um, have attributed to the moon. But not only that, we've understood how important the moon is to our lives here. You know, it, it, it regulates our tide. So we have to remember, I, I always, um, in, outside of the university, I'm also the co-founder of an organization called For All Moonkind. Um, and the, the, the organization is intended to protect cultural artifacts that are on the moon. You know, people think, oh, they must be national parks, but they're not. Nothing on the moon is protected. And so part of understanding that we have cultural heritage on the moon is understanding that cultural heritage is not just that was made by humans. It's also stuff that has been with humanity forever. And so we understand that we have a special responsibility to the moon, not just because it's our moon, but because it's the moon for everybody on Earth. You know, when Apollo uh, launched, um, indigenous communities, primarily uh, from First Nations here in North America, we're very upset because they don't believe anybody should be impacting the moon. Um, now, I, I can't agree with that because I think the moon is a vital part of our exploration of space, but I do believe we have the responsibility to keep the moon as pristine as is practicable and reasonable as we use it as a jumping off point for us to explore the rest of space. So what does that mean? That means, you know what, I don't think we should scar the side of the moon that, we, that faces us. I think we have a responsibility to keep that pristine. I think we have a responsibility to make sure that the far side of the moon that we don't see is also kept nominally pristine. Why? Because astronomers 
with that, if they if they want to build a telescope on the far side of the moon where it's always dark, where they'll be able to see so far into beyond um, anything we've seen before into space. So it goes back to what I was saying when we we were talking about orbital debris and debris remediation. We have come. We are at, at such an exciting point in our human evolution right now. We are literally on this threshold where we are about to become a spacefaring species. And we have been on this planet for three million years and we have made a lot of mistakes. But hopefully we've learned from those mistakes. And the international community through the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space is working very hard to be responsible about how we explore space. Because there's something called intergenerational equity. We mess up a lot of stuff for our kids and our grandchildren but we, we have the opportunity to make sure that we explore and use space sustainably and responsibly. And that is, that, is, that is the primary goal of the Center for Air and Space Law. We want to support, we are, we are a bridge. We are building the bridge for humanity from Earth into space. And we're putting guardrails on that bridge to make sure it's done responsibly and truly with access for all. Rachel, we're so glad that you called in with that question. Thank you very much. We can take your questions on our email address. Remember, our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Where can you learn more about space law? Aside from In Legal Terms, I'll tell you next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you had Jerry Lewis, Hall Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Just uh, like and subscribe to our channel, please. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are most of our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hey, at 11 o'clock Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. 
the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs has a website. UNOOSA.org. They even have a Twitter account. It's at UNOOSA, United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs. We're talking with Professor Michelle Hanlon, co director of the Center for Air and Space Law at our very own University of Mississippi School of Law. We're going to go to Kill Now and talk with Tom. Tom, we're glad you've called into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? My question is about salvage and ownership rights of things in space. If, for example, I wanted to go to the Apollo 17 site and retrieve the rover, uh, would that be legal, or is that still owned by the United States? And to look at some other similar ideas, who, if I go and get Elon Musk's uh, car that he shot into space, obviously he threw that away. So can I get that and bring that, and is it mine, or a disabled satellite? Thank you. I appreciate, appreciate your show. Hi, Tom. It's, it is funny to think about Elon Musk's car, and, and one of the things that um, you know I worry about is that we're just throwing a lot of junk up there, right? And there's, there's companies that are are saying, hey, you know, send whatever you want to the moon, and it'll be there forever. Um, not really thinking there are entrepreneurial types like you who are thinking, oh, there's a lot of junk up there I can salvage. So under under the law, the um, Article Eight of the Outer Space Treaty says that whoever launches an object retains jurisdiction and control over it. Um, and so everything that is on the moon, um, the, the, uh, the Elon Musk, Tesla, those are technically owned by the United States still. So um, think about the, when we talk about what the resources that are on, on the moon, and remember the very first human-made objects to impact the moon was Luna 2, 10 years before Apollo 11. Luna 9 was the first soft impact, um, and actually the, the Soviet Union put um, wheels on the moon before the United States did. And believe it or not, Russia actually sold Luna Cod 2, their second rover, to an American citizen, Richard Garriott. So the question about ownership is really, really interesting because we have a city which says, hey, if you launch it, you own it, and you, um, you can't give it away. But think about Apollo 17. So my organization, For All Moonkind, believes that Apollo 17 ought to be a protected heritage site, and it ought to be owned by everybody in the world, not just the United States. Um, I actually talked to um, Harrison Schmidt, our first geologist on the moon, and he was apoplectic. He said, it costs so much to send stuff up there, that stuff ought to be salvaged, not saved. Um, we had a great conversation about that because, yeah, there, are, there is, it's very, very hard to get stuff into space. Um, and so what we have up there, we really ought to be recycling, and that's the responsible thing to do. So we reach the detente. We'll recycle some of the stuff, but we will have to protect, um, for example, the boot prints, I think. When we talk about salvage, though, that is a very real possibility with respect to debris. So let's circle back to the very first question we have this morning. Um, there are companies right now that are talking about recycling debris in space. And that means putting a little foundry in space, getting little space tugs to go around and pick up these larger pieces, bringing them to the foundry, melting them down, and then selling them. And so what, what, do we, what is, can we see from there in terms of ownership? Well, whoever put that object into space owns it. 
And so you would have to, as a salvager, you would have to work it out with the owner of that object to say, hey, I will, I will get that out of orbit for you and, and melt it down and then sell it and then figure out some sort of services um, or payment for those services. Um, I would love to see a law that says um, if you put stuff in space, especially in orbit, you have to take care of it because if you were driving down a highway, you wouldn't just, you know, if when your car breaks down, you don't just leave it on the side of the road to be there to block everybody else, right? You would be responsible for getting rid of it and, and getting a tow truck to take it out. And so we need to incentivize an industry, a salvage industry, that will be paid to take some of this junk out of our orbit. But fundamentally, right now, um, who, whoever launched it owns it, and you have to work with that, um, that launching country in order to be able to salvage it or otherwise um, handle those objects. Thanks for that question, Tom. Yeah, Tom, that's a great question. And that... Uh, then the next step, I mean, we put stuff in space, and, and maybe we can uh, you know, also mine things in space. But what about tourism, space tourism, Michelle? Uh, is space tourism something that can uh, be a benefit to, to humankind? Absolutely, Richard. You know, there's probably not a lot of uh, people listening who remember the dawn of air travel, right? But when we think about, um, you know, the, there's been a lot of sort of denigration of space billionaires and people spending $300,000, $500,000 just to go to space for eight minutes or, you know, just to go into suborbital uh, uh, for, for eight minutes. Um, but think about the 1920s when aircraft and air travel was just becoming, just being born, right? It was very expensive, even all the way until the 50s to fly. People, only very rich people could fly. And then those very rich people, they, they didn't fly for a destination. They flew in order to get the meal and the whole experience. It's very much like space tourism today. So the, um, the, the idea that, you know, these are these billionaires um, sort of uh, spending too much money on space, I think is absolutely a false narrative. Um, thank goodness for the billionaires, for the people who are willing to spend, um, spend the money to go to space, because that means Someday, maybe I won't be able to afford it on my university salary, but maybe someday my children could afford it um, and be able to go to space. Space is for everybody. And sure, it's going to take a while for, the, for people like me to go to space, but it's because of people who are willing to spend the money. And again, tourism is going to fund not just you know, people who want to travel. Think about how, what air travel has done. You know, every time you buy tulips, um, that those came from an airplane from the Netherlands. You know, um, air travel has really brought our world together and changed our world fundamentally. Brought us all closer together. Just think about what space travel will do for us. Oh, we hope it ushers in a, a peace and tranquility for everyone. If you'd like to learn more, Professor Hanlon has an organization for all mankind. Well, Moonkind, for all Moonkind. Moonkind, that's that's the joke, for all Moonkind. We'll have a link to that on this show information. Thank you, uh, Professor Michelle Hanlon, for giving us your time today, being on our show. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. I am happy to come back anytime. 
We're going to wrap up today's In Legal Terms. Thank you to Kevin Farrell and Jay White for helping us get our show on the air. And thank you so very, very much for Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 